All right, as you know, we've been in this worship series, as I said earlier in the worship service, this worship series on being immersed into the biblical story. And today we're in Paul's letter to Titus. It's three chapters. It's so short. Look at my Bible. It doesn't even take up two pages. How nice is that? (laughs) If anybody ever said, I've never read a whole book of the Bible, well, they haven't set aside 15 minutes to read a whole book of the Bible. This is it. This is the easy one to read, okay? It's only three chapters long. And for our sermon today, I'm going to read chapter two. But really, you should read the whole thing sometime. It's so short. So I could read the whole thing, and it still wouldn't even take up 20-minute sermon. So anyways, I will read Titus chapter two this morning for today's worship service. Listen to God's word. But as for you, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. Tell the older men to be temperate, serious, prudent, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, in all respects, a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, gravity, and sound speech that cannot be censured. Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Tell slaves to be submissive to their masters and to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to talk back, not to pilfer, but to show complete and perfect fidelity, so that in everything they may be an ornament to the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God, and Savior Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Declare these things. Exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one look down on you. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many years ago now, when I was a senior in college, I had this incredible opportunity to lead a Bible study of five freshman guys. We met every week for two hours, And we had the most wonderful Bible study. It was so great. One of the best parts about that experience for me leading that Bible study was that these five guys came from such diverse backgrounds within Christianity. And it was such a joy. One of them was a Presbyterian. One of them was a Lutheran. So we had kind of mainline Christianity covered. One of them was Catholic. So that was great. We had a Roman Catholic in that small group. And then we had one person that was Pentecostal, evangelical, resisted 
any kind of um, category. He was non-denominational, didn't want to really be affiliated with anything, but was very on fire for God. And then one person that was uh, evangelical from a conservative Christian background. And so it was a real joy, actually, to be part of this Bible study with this mixture of diverse backgrounds. Because every time we read the scripture, we were always asking each other, wait a second, what does this text have to say to us? What is, what is God saying to us, even given our backgrounds and what we've learned, what we've been taught, what we've been handed down from these different traditions? Are those traditions in line with what we're reading in the scripture? We had the best year of learning together. It was so much fun to be part of that kind of diverse Christian community. It was such a joy. And in a way, those, uh, those men now are still friends of mine, and they're still teaching me a lot about what it means to follow Christ. And one of those guys in that small group had this great Facebook post a few months ago that just made me burst out laughing that I thought I would share with you all today. This was at the height of some stuff going on in the media about cancel culture and how people were canceling things and getting upset about it. And, you know, I'm sure you heard all about that stuff in the news. And my friend... Uh, Tim wrote this, and I thought I would share it with you. He said this. He said, I grew up in a conservative Christian community that tried to cancel many things. Abercrombie and Fitch, Dungeons and Dragons, Harry Potter, Starbucks a few times, Target, Rock and Roll, and Teletubbies. Anyone have any more? I probably agree with the Abercrombie and Fitch cancellation, but for other reasons now. And maybe you can see on there it says 64 comments. It kind of kept going on and on about the various different things that different Christian communities have tried to cancel. What made me laugh when I saw this was just that somehow we take this thing that is grand and big in Jesus Christ in the gospel, right? As the end of Titus chapter 2 says, grace of God appears in Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing. And somehow for thousands of years in history, we try to say things like, well, if you believe in these things, then don't drink a latte from Starbucks. It's like, how does that make sense at all? How does it make sense that somehow by drinking a latte at Starbucks, you've, you've sort of missed the gospel, you've missed the mark of the gospel? I just don't understand how we've come to do that over years. And, but, and yet, this is the truth, right? We've seen this lots of times throughout various kinds of history that here's this huge thing. The triune God has made God's self known to us, uh, but don't shop at Target. Don't listen to rock and roll music. Don't watch Teletubbies on TV. It's like somehow these things are just wholly incompatible. Uh, if we believe in these larger pictures of theological truths, how, how could it be that we can't go drink a latte at Starbucks? Something's funny about that. I had to ask my friend. I didn't get it. I, nobody ever told me not to drink a latte from Starbucks. So as we look at Titus, I think it's helpful to bring out the context of this a little bit more because I think we all have this kind of sense that we've been in different Christian communities just try to say to us, don't do this, don't do this. We focused in on these small things. You can't do this as a Christian right? We've all had these experiences of just the big part of these theological truths being made small and telling us, you're boundering it out. You can't do this. Um, but I think if we look at the context of Titus and what's happening in this letter as a whole, we may be able to extrapolate it out a little bit and just see exactly what God is saying to Titus and to us today. So scholars 
some scholars think that Titus was written uh, in the 50s, and it was written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who was living on Crete. But some scholars also think that maybe this was not written by Paul himself, but it was written 100 years later, probably in the early to the mid-2nd century, and it was written in the tradition of Paul to Titus on Crete. Now, there's lots of arguments, as you can imagine, in the academic community about this, but I think there's something to that idea about it being written 100 years later. And when I look at these letters by the Apostle Paul, there is a change, it feels different. The letters feel very different. When you read Philippians or Ephesians or Galatians, you can tell the church is sort of on fire for these big theological ideas and they're just really trying to hang their hat on the gospel and what is significant and what is meaningful. And then all of a sudden in Titus, it's like there's these small things. Don't do this, don't do this, do this. And it becomes really sort of fragmented from the larger picture in a way. And so what's going on with Titus chapter 2 and especially Titus chapter 1? Well, if it was written 100 years later, what's ended up happening is that religion has had to become organized. It wasn't just these small houses of worship, having communion, singing together, sharing stories about Jesus, but instead it's become a more formal experience of church, meaning that there were elders, maybe there was bishops that oversaw varieties of different house churches and different houses and maybe the whole island of Crete. And because of that, now they're feeling like within the tradition of Paul, you need to say, if you're going to be an elder, you can do this, but you cannot do these things. So in a sense, organized religion has replaced the more charismatic versions of religion that we hear about from the 50s and 60s and some of those other letters by the Apostle Paul. So I think there's something to this idea. And because of this, I think actually, if you think about it this way, Titus can speak directly into our lives in a way. And because we live in that world today too. We have elders. Well, we don't have bishops, but maybe some of our other friends in other traditions have bishops. But we have elders, we have leaders, we have pastors, and we say what you can, what you cannot do within these contexts. And so I think Titus can speak to this directly to us. But first I want to give another definition or another explanation of just about how we can hear God speak to us in the midst of these do's and these don'ts of Titus. A few years ago, I read this uh, really good book written by Ibram Kendi. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's a really good book. I, I recommend it to everybody. And it was a really, really good book. The first few chapters were so instructive and really helpful for me when I was reading this book. What was helpful for me when I read this book is that he explains in our common language when we use the term racist, we use it like an identity or, or someone, we use it in common language where we might say, oh, you are a racist. And then that person obviously gets defensive and they say, I'm not racist, I'm the least racist person there is. You know what I'm talking about when you hear people talk like this. Ibram Kendi says, no, 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 it's not an identity. You can't be racist in that kind of a way. But he says, racism is about actions, individual actions and behaviors and certain kinds of policies. Those are things that can be racist. 
And so we want to be against those things so that we can have a kind of humanity that brings people together instead of separating humanity. When I read this book, I thought that is such a helpful explanation to me for this conversation about, that's emerging about how to become anti-racist. Instead of thinking about it as an identity or a hat that you wear, you can look at individual actions or policies that separate humans instead of bringing people together and making things equitable and fair for everyone. So when I read the book, I thought, that's great because everybody wants to have less of those actions and less of those policies. Like we can all agree with that, but in some way we just end up arguing with each other and we say things to each other and we put labels on top of each other and we just end up arguing with each other all the time. That was a really helpful definition for me. I think something about that definition is helpful for us too when it comes to Christianity and especially Titus, okay? Because I think what happens sometimes in Christianity is we can put on a hat that says, I'm a Christian, regardless of the kinds of actions that we do in our life, right? Or we say, I get to wear this hat Christian because I do this or I don't do these things. And in a way, perhaps we can think about it what Ibram Kendi is saying. No, maybe it's certain actions or beliefs are Christian themselves, but not necessarily, I just get to wear this hat because I got baptized and call myself a Christian for the rest of my life, you know? I think this is what Titus is trying, or not Titus, this is what Paul is trying to say to Titus and to Crete. Crete was well known for being this rambunctious island in the ancient Near East. For, it was well known for that. And in fact, if you wanted to call somebody a liar, you would call them a Cretan in the ancient Near East. That was what they were known as. And so this is what I think Paul is trying to say to you. Don't just hang your hat on this identity from being baptized, but instead think about this larger picture that God has acted in Jesus Christ to rescue from sinful life, from all this stuff that's around you. God has acted dramatically in Jesus to rescue from all of that. And as such, it should compel you to do good works to do the works that are the markers of Christian life. Think about what those things might look like. Those markers, those good works. You know, we don't do good works for the sake of righteousness or for earning salvation. But this is what God is trying to communicate to us, I think, in Titus. Pay attention to the really big thing. And when you think about the big thing, there will be other positive actions and behaviors and things you want to pursue they act in accordance with that big stuff. Think about what those things might be. Prayer, worship, thinking about our church community feeding the hungry. In the last few weeks, we had a fundraiser to support Second Harvest Food Bank, caring for the sick. I mean, those are big things, right? So I think that's where Titus is going. Yes, there is these small pictures, but there's also these core theological truths at the end of chapter two and the end of chapter three that I think are significant for us and for that community of faith then. Remember, God acted decisively in Jesus Christ to rescue us from all of Crete and all of the sinful way of life. God's rescuing us from that and wants us to pursue these kinds of good works and good actions in the community. And there truly are good works and good actions in the community. These are the distinctives, the distinctivenesses, you know? 
what I was saying in my children's message about my little family taking a walk every night, well, there's distinctiveness about Christianity too. And it's not just because we get to wear a hat of identity, but it's because we have these markers of good works that we pursue, that we feel like God is calling us to do. These become these markers, these actions. That's a Christian action. That's a Christian action. Not necessarily just going to hang our hat on an identity. One of the things that I've loved about this church is that people in this church are so caring and so loving of one another. In fact, it's as if you don't really even need me to do pastoral care because you all do it amongst yourselves in such meaningful and beautiful ways. You pray for each other. When things go poorly, you help each other. You reach out to each other. And I remember, in fact, a few years ago, I went to go see someone in the hospital, and I thought I got there pretty soon after I found out about something happening. But there was two other members of the church that were there already praying. And I talked to them, and there had been five to ten other people already there to visit with this person. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you don't really need me to do this. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to pray for you. How wonderful and how beautiful it is. It's like those are distinctive markers of Christian community of knowing these larger theological things and not just making them these small little things like don't drink a latte, but hanging on to the big, beautiful things. Care for each other. Visit the sick. Feed the hungry. Help the poor. You know exactly what I mean. This is exactly where I think Titus can be helpful for us. It balances out just some of the other pieces about, oh, just get baptized and you'll be fine. It's like, no, get baptized and then also allow the big theological truth to compel you to good works. What might just separate you from Crete, what might separate you from the Middle Peninsula, and in a way give witness to the glory of God in our life. And so, what are the good works that God's going to call you to right now as you hear these words about how God acts decisively through Jesus Christ to rescue us from Crete to rescue us from the Middle Peninsula. I'm sure God's putting something on your heart to pursue now, this week, this month. It's a good work, an action that might be worthy of these larger theological claims about how God is acting to rescue us from sinful life. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for you. Thank you, God, that you revealed yourself to us through grace in Jesus Christ. And in this small, little, beautiful book written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, even though there might be some ways in which things were kind of made narrow and made small, yet there is these beautiful theological claims in it. And we really want to hold on to those big theological claims and the beauty and the truth that you came to us in Jesus Christ. For that, we're so thankful. So Lord, would you fuse together who you are with our imagination that you may spur us on to good works, to love people, to pray for them, to worship you, to care for the sick and the poor and the needy and the hungry. Lord, we love you and we lift up this worship service to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.